Toothache 2, Steel Man 0 this week. Mike Steely is not with us for the second consecutive day. Uh, he is too doped up on pain medication, to my understanding, to be coherent this morning. So, uh, for the second consecutive day here on Steel Man and Thune at noon, you got myself, Parker Thune, you got Connor Pasby, rolling with me until 2 p.m., at which point Tyler McComas and I will get you locked in from 2 to 3, and then from 3 to 6, it will be Tyler and Teddy on the rush, taking you home on this snowy Tuesday afternoon in God's country. Connor, I am wearing fleece-lined sweatpants right now. They are heavenly. Perfect for a day like today. A day where I do not plan on being outside any longer than necessary. I just bought these yesterday. They're incredibly comfortable. The studio here uh, at the Buffalo Wild Wings Studios here at KREF, the home of Sooner fans, uh, is quite warm, as are my legs in these sweatpants. So... It's a vibe for the next two hours here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. First hour of the show brought to you by Tim Lasher and Lasher Home Comfort Systems, servicing the greater Oklahoma City area since 2007. Whether you're looking to repair, replace, or maintain your AC, call Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Family owned and operated, 405-579-3113. And Connor, we have two things that we did not have when we came on air yesterday. One is snow, obviously of which there has been plenty this morning. Two would be a vacancy at Alabama. Bill O'Brien set to join the New England Patriots staff, so it is official. Alabama, as of right now, has zero coordinators after losing Pete Golding to Ole Miss and Bill O'Brien to the NFL. And I say losing, and that is a very loosely applied term in Nick Saban's world, because anytime Nick Saban loses a coordinator for a non-head coaching job... It generally means they were gently shoved out the door by Nick Saban and his mafia. So, for the moment, no offensive coordinator in Tuscaloosa, no defensive coordinator in Tuscaloosa. And one of the names that has been thrown around a lot as it pertains to the Alabama vacancy at offensive coordinator is one Jeff Levy. And it feels like we've been talking about this for two or three weeks now, Connor. And some of you are tuning in and wondering, why on earth are we still talking about this? Well, because the the flow of our show in general is dictated by the Air Comfort Solutions text line. So, if people are on the Air Comfort Solutions text line asking us what's the latest on the Jeff Levy situation, well, guess what? We're going to talk about the Jeff Levy situation. And so, as as we sit here right now, Connor... I've had conversations with a few folks this morning after Bill O'Brien was officially, I don't know if he's been officially announced, but the news broke that he is set to join the New England Patriots staff and return to the NFL. Talked to a few folks this morning. It does not seem like Jeff Levy is going to be the next offensive coordinator at Alabama. Still does not look that way. And as we discussed in great detail yesterday, Connor, it doesn't make sense for Levy to leave Oklahoma for one after one season for what would be in title at least a lateral move. Yeah, and for and for it to be his alma mater and only be here for one year. We were talking about it yesterday and the job wasn't even open. And little did we know, the next day it the job, the offensive coordinator spot at Alabama is open. Um I th- I think I saw your guy Josh Pate say Alabama has the number one recruiting class with not an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. But, yeah, the levy talk is still stirring up. 
Uh, don't see it happen, but who knows. Now, here's one thing that I don't know if we've talked about yet with regard to Jeff Levy and the smoke that he could end up being Alabama's next offensive coordinator, which, again, for those tuning in for the first time today, because we got people tuning in all hour for the very first time and a lot of people texting in uh, their questions, not knowing that it's stuff that we discussed at the beginning of the show. So, again, if you're just tuning in, the expectation is not that Jeff Levy will be the Alabama OC. It's quite the opposite. The expectation is that he will stay at Oklahoma. Sean on the text line says, Chance Ted Roof is the new D.C. at Bama. Book it. <laughs> I am going to I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that that will not be the case. Most but, likely no. Hey, I don't know if we've talked about this angle enough as far as Jeff Levy is concerned. If I'm Jeff Levy, Given the history that invariably gets dredged up whenever I'm in contention for a new job, not just him, but Kendall Bryles, right? Art Bryles' son, and in Jeff Levy, Art Bryles' son-in-law, their tenure at Baylor, when that university was mired in scandal and that football program was mired in scandal, having their names attached to that situation means that whenever... They are up for a new job. Whenever they are on the precipice of being hired for a new position, and we just saw this with Kendall Bryles last week, yep. invariably that discourse is going to come right back to the top of people's social media feeds. And so if I'm Jeff Levy, am I making a lateral move if I know that it's going to be another three, four weeks of that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want any, any part of that. I don't think Levy does either. Because, again, you, you have to consider cost-benefit analysis. If he were taking a head coaching job, it would make a lot of sense, right? Because, yeah, you know what? People are going to start talking about the Baylor stuff. You're going to have folks on social media uh, that are talking about, oh, this guy should be out of the profession. And, look, Jeff Levy's a really nice guy. He went to Southeastern University, an NAIA school in Lakeland, Florida, to lay low for a year and let everything blow over, which it did for the most part. But ever since he was at Baylor, he has done a very good job of conducting himself in such a fashion as to where it doesn't feel like people feel the need to constantly be talking about the fact that he was associated and affiliated with Art Bryles program at the time. And look, it wasn't as if Jeff Lebby was primarily culpable for what happened at Baylor. Everybody's got their opinions, and I'm not trying to have a political discussion here. But all I'm trying to say is, Jeff Levy was there at Baylor when that all went down. It's part of his past. Can't really do anything to change it. All you can do at that point is just move on and try to conduct yourself in such a manner that nobody thinks twice about it at a certain point uh, as you continue to walk your professional walk years and years down the road. And so, if Jeff Levy were taking a head coaching job, I think that, in his eyes, it'd probably be worth it to deal with uh, a whole new fallout from the Baylor scandal. But, if he's moving from one offensive coordinator job to another, at that point, unless there's a massive raise in pay, right, and we talked about this yesterday, maybe Alabama offers him... Four or five million dollars, which is an astronomical figure for an offensive coordinator. 
But that could be what it takes. I figure that a number like that would certainly at least cause him to think twice. But short of offering him that astronomical figure, is Jeff Levy going to make that move with the knowledge in the back of his head and the understanding that his entire social media feed for days and days to come is going to be, well, Jeff Levy, the new offensive coordinator at Alabama, I tell you, (laughs) that's – I don't know if you can dissociate him from the the past, the history, whatever happened at Baylor. It's going to be a lot of that. That's going to be how it is every single time Jeff Levy takes a new job. It it would be different if it's a head coaching job, but you're in the same spot even if you go to Alabama. I know you may get, like you said, maybe three or four mil, but I don't think you want to do that. You're in a great spot right now. Uh, Let's see, Brazilian Sooner says, don't think he would leave BV – but if he did, OU would still get a top-notch coordinator just like Alabama will. That's the thing. Even if, if Jeff Levy does leave, you're still going to get a really good offensive coordinator that comes to Oklahoma. But uh, Brent from Jenks says, Parker, you say Levy's name is brought up a lot. However, only Pete Thamel mentioned it and actually said Josh Heupel in error. If true, let's pay the man big and move on ASAP. Can't risk losing Arnold. And look, that's the primary reason I think this is not happening. I don't think Jeff Levy is going to walk away from his guy in Dylan Gabriel and his guy in Jackson Arnold after one year. He's he's ready for yeah. Arnold. Now, I will say this, Brent. Jeff Levy's name has been brought up a lot, and it hasn't just been Pete Thamel. And a lot of it has been insider content behind paywalls from both the Alabama and the Oklahoma end. But make no mistake about it, I would actually make the argument – that Jeff Lebby's name has been brought up in connection to the Alabama OC vacancy more so than any other individual. Now, again, I do not think he's taking the job, and I think it's all empty buzz. But his name has been thrown around a lot. Trying to think of some other names. Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen's name has been mentioned. Yeah, I mean. You would think Cliff Kingsbury, but. No doubt, and I, I would throw Scott Frost in there as well because anytime there's a vacancy on Nick Saban's staff at one of the coordinator spots, it's like, okay, well, who's the next candidate on the roulette wheel for the Nick Saban School of Career, career Rehabilitation among coaches? Because it seems like he's just constantly exactly got a revolving door of yeah. Steve Sarkeesian's and Bill O'Brien's to be his coordinator for a year or two and then they're off to wherever their next destination is. Uh, this listener says, I'm shocked that we are still talking about Levy leaving. It just doesn't make sense for him to go elsewhere. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but this is what we're talking about. On yeah, a we, also, yeah, we also don't know what's going on. About yeah, and we don't know what's going on through, through his head. Uh, so can we hypothetically, let's just say Levy leaves. This comes from the text line. Who does OU go get? My personal opinion is you elevate Joe John Finley to OC before you lose him to another program, but anyone else? And look, at that that's kind of where I draw the line at this point. I don't even want to entertain that conversation because I, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, I firmly believe Jeff Levy is not going anywhere. If he does, if Alabama succeeds in yanking him away from Oklahoma, then we can open to that page. But until then... Let's just all hold our horses a little bit on the Jeff Levy discourse. Yeah, hold up. He's still here. But. All right, we're just getting started here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Steelman and Thune at noon. No Mike Steely today. 
Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you until 2 o'clock. First hour of the show brought to you by Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Coming up throughout the show, we're going to continue to talk about the Jeff Levy situation. We're going to continue to field your questions and concerns via the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We will talk about another big test for Oklahoma basketball coming up this evening on the road at Schulmeyer Arena against TCU. Plenty on tap. Keep rolling with us. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. It is Steelman and Thune at noon here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Parker Thune, Connor Pasby here with you. Hit the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439, to chime in with your thoughts, questions, opinions. couple things I want to get to here uh, in the way of news on this Tuesday. Micah Bowens has entered the transfer portal. Uh, I don't even know what... I'm trying to think, how far down was he on the depth chart at Oklahoma? He was pretty far down, Connor Pasby. Everyone um, well, everyone was wondering about him like throughout the season because they didn't see him in like pictures or anything like in the quarterback room. Yeah, because he was that far down the depth chart, man. Like We're talking about a guy that was formerly a four-star prospect at Penn State, transferred to Oklahoma as a walk-on, was not on scholarship. And he was, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. His first year at Oklahoma, obviously, was Muleshoe's final year. The third-string quarterback that year behind Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams was Ralph Rucker, a walk-on true freshman who didn't even early enroll. So that was kind of your first clue that Micah Bowens probably wasn't going to crack it at Oklahoma as a quarterback. And then this season rolls around. Oklahoma has all that turnover in the QB room. And he's still no higher than what fifth on the depth yeah, chart at QB. So it was just odd. I tell you, what, I was uh, I was talking to a source out west uh, in the state of California, I believe, an individual that covered Micah Bowens as a high school prospect, and he told me, "Look, that guy was never going to make it as a quarterback. He needed to play defensive back. Everybody kind of knew he needed to play defensive back, and." He and his dad were pretty committed to trying to make the quarterback thing work, but at this point, his only hope of having a legitimate collegiate career is to either drop down to the D2 level or go play safety. Speaking of the D2 level. I know exactly where you're going. Oklahoma (laughs) State's new defensive coordinator is Brian Nardo, whom they hired from, wait for it, Gannon University. I did not know Gannon University existed until today, Connor. The Pennsylvania. A Division II institution in Pennsylvania. Brian Nardo has spent all of two years of his 14-year coaching career above the Division II level. That Oh, man. He spent two years at Youngstown State, I believe on Bo Pelini's staff, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. But other than that... This guy is a lifelong D2 coach. He graduated from the University of Ohio, was a GA at the University of Ohio, but once he went into coaching on a full-time basis, he was a D2 guy. Now, is this what it's come to at Oklahoma State, Connor? Now, I know very little about Brian Nardo. This might be a really good hire that just flies way under the radar. Could be, yeah. But I, I find it very difficult to believe I, I say this, and at the same time, I don't find it very difficult to believe 
Like, is this, is this really the state of affairs in Stillwater that Mike Gundy has to drop to the D2 level to find somebody that's willing to be his defensive coordinator? That's what it looks like. You got guys leaving to the portal, and then you get a defensive coordinator from the D2 level. Oklahoma State fans, out after everything they've been through, now they get this. But don't get me wrong. I mean, it could pay off for the Cowboys, but did not expect this coming. Somebody said Mike Gundy is shopping at Goodwill looking for coordinators. Yes, he, yep. That is no joke, man. Gannon University. Like, I don't know how that even comes up when you're honestly looking for a defensive coordinator. Unless they're defense that I just don't I, like, know I, of. Like, well, led, led D2 in about every category you can think of. Well, and I'm trying to figure out, what is the connection here? How does Mike Gundy even know who Brian Nardo is? Because generally, if you're making a jump of this magnitude from Gannon University to the Power Five, you know somebody. You worked with somebody in the past. Is there somebody on Oklahoma State staff, and I'm just oblivious to it, somebody that Brian Nardo would have crossed paths with in a former life? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't. I wonder if Mike Gundy even knew this university before he even made this hire, but. Somebody on the text line said, I am from Pennsylvania, and I didn't know Gannon University. <laughs> there you go. That says it. Uh, another listener said, uh, don't forget Lance Leipold made a living in D2. He's turned out fairly well. Now, that is true. It, was actually, it wasn't D2. It was D3. But what Lance Leipold did at Wisconsin Whitewater was dominate that level of play for years upon years upon years and then used it as, as a stepping stone to become the head coach at the University at Buffalo – where he also had a ton of success before moving on to Kansas. So, so the the only connection I'm seeing is Emporia State. In like he was yeah, there. he worked at Emporia okay, State yeah. for quite a while. Somebody said found him on Indeed. <laughs> there, yep. Uh, another listener who has gone to much greater lengths to research than I ever would have says Gannon was 24th in total defense and 53rd in scoring defense. Huh. I, so that is that is your new defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State University, Brian Nardo. He's got the 24th total defense at the Division II level. In other coaching news, Kellen Moore is interviewing for the head coaching job with the Carolina Panthers. I feel old, Connor. I yep, shouldn't feel old, and I do. Well, he had that offensive coordinator job at the Cowboys at a very young age. I mean, he was blessed with that opportunity right from the get-go when he got the coaching job. He is 34 years old. I think, what, Muleshoe was 33 when he became the head coach at Oklahoma, and he was the youngest head coach in college football yeah. at that point. So, I, 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 I'm going to do a quick Google search. Youngest NFL head coach Ever, you I said know. He, you know. Sean, Sean McVay. There you go. Thirty years old. Yeah, Sean McVay. Thirty-four. Kellen Moore's thirty-four. Yes. Okay. Youngest NFL coaches in the modern era. Here we go. The Pro Football Hall of Fame has me covered here. There have been, well, actually, several coaches younger than thirty-four uh, that have gotten opportunities in the NFL. Sean Ki- uh, Sean McVay. Lane Kiffin is on this list. Uh, a couple guys from. Many, many years gone by, Harlan Sphair, John Mikulosin from the 20s and 30s. In the modern era of NFL football, 
here are um, here are the guys that have gotten head coaching jobs prior to age 34. You got Sean McVay, Lane Kiffin, Raheem Morris, David Shula, Josh McDaniels, the great John Madden, Don Shula, Al Davis. I didn't realize he was the head huh. coach of the Raiders. Interesting. And then you got Joe Collier, who was the head coach of the Bills for three years in the 60s, and John Gruden. So, pretty he, short list. He looks the youngest, though. Yeah. Yeah, no joke, man. Kellen Moore, like, I I hear all kinds of jokes about how I look like a high schooler. Kellen Moore absolutely looks like somebody that he, you would. He has not aged since his Boise State days. No, he That's has for not. for sure. Uh, <laughs> somebody on the text line says... Can Brian Nardo play linebacker because Oklahoma State isn't going to have anyone suiting up? Yeah, they'll need that. Another listener says, if I'm Colin Oliver or Kendall Daniels, I'm out of there. Yeah, I wonder how the defensive players, whoever's left on the roster for Oklahoma State, feel about this. <laughs> Phenomenal but. text. Oklahoma State hired the Nard Dog. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so fortunately, our, uh, our fine Oklahoma State insider on the 24-7 Sports Network, Cody Nagel, has pointed out the connection. Mike Gundy, and I'm quoting Cody's tweet, Mike Gundy seems to really like the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference. Oh, does Gundy he? Gundy hired former offensive coordinator Mike Yursich from Shippensburg, which is also a member of the PSAC. Now, Mike Yursich, I believe, is at Penn State these days. Went back to Pennsylvania yeah. after spending time at Oklahoma I didn't, I didn't know that about Yursich, though. From... There's your connection. Interesting maneuver there, Mike Gundy. Uh, okay, here's here's another uh, here's another tweet from Football Scoop, which is often first on the scene to break coaching news. Uh, Football Scoop posted a screenshot from an undisclosed college football coach that says Brian Nardo is hands down one of the best people and coaches in the business. Gundy knows what he's doing. Okay. So okay, okay, Mike Gundy, if you know what you're doing. Let's see it. Hiring a defensive coordinator from Gannon University, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. It's not like, I mean, it's not like they were great defensively. I mean, under 30 in total defense, but still. Somebody said Nardo. I wonder what kind of competition Gannon University goes up against. Somebody on the text line said Nardo is Jackie Moon. (laughs) Don't forget Gundy found Mike Yursich on YouTube and hired him to be his OC. People got jokes today. All right, we got to hit a quick break here at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, uh, we will discuss Porter Moser and the Oklahoma basketball program as they prepare to go on the road this evening and face off with a TCU program that, under the direction of Jamie Dixon, is better than it has been possibly ever in the history, at least the modern history, of that basketball program. Big road test coming up tonight for the Sooners. We will break it all down and discuss what the Sooners need to do to get back on track in Big 12 play coming up next. Steelman and Thune at noon with Parker Thune and Connor Pasby on this Tuesday. Keep it with us on the Ref Sports Radio Network. It is Steelman and Thune at noon on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Sooners going down to the Schulmeyer Arena in Fort Worth this evening. Porter Moser and the boys visiting the number 11 TCU Horned Frogs, and we'll get to that game in just a second. First hour of the show brought to you by Lasher Home Comfort Systems. 405-579-3113 is the number to call if you're looking to repair, replace, or maintain your air conditioning system. 
Lasher Home Comfort Systems, family-owned and operated, servicing the greater Oklahoma City area since 2007. Hit the Air Comfort Solutions text line with your thoughts this afternoon, 405-651-3439. Now, we teased it. We talked about it, Connor. Oklahoma coming off losses in three of their past four games. Heads down to Fort Worth this evening. They will face off with Jamie Dixon and the TCU Horned Frogs. And what is it feels like every game is kind of a must win for yep, Oklahoma. Yep, every game from here on out. Now, the Sooners sit right now at 11 and 8. They're 8th in the Big 12. They are 1 and 3 on the road this year. And <laughs> at a certain point these close losses got to turn to close victories if they're going to make a tournament push. Now, they beat West Virginia at home, held off a late charge from the Mountaineers. They beat Texas Tech in Lubbock in overtime, both of those games within the last two and a half weeks. So they got those ones, but the ones that got away are kind of the prevailing narrative for this team right now. They lost at Fog Allen to Kansas 79-75 to after leading that game by 10 points with five minutes remaining. They got throttled down the stretch in Stillwater last week by Oklahoma State, eventually dropping that game 72-56, to and most recently... They got Baylor on their home floor this past Saturday. Took that game all the way down to the wire, but ended up losing 62-60. to So, 11-8 and right now for this basketball team. TCU, on the other hand, they've lost 3-5 of five coming in, but they're also 15-4 and four on the year. And they're also coming off a 20-plus win against Kansas in the fog. Now, so. the big names to know for the TCU Horn Frogs would be Mike Miles Jr who's averaging 19 points per game right now for this program shooting 53% from the field at the guard position and then you got a big in Eddie Lampkin that's averaging 7 rebounds per game 3 and a half on the defensive boards and 3 and a half on the offensive boards so i i i don't know if this has been talked about enough with Oklahoma's struggles they give the opponents way too many second-chance opportunities. And so, crashing the boards on the defensive end tonight against TCU, especially when you got a guy like Eddie Lampkin on the opposing side that is really good at cleaning up on the offensive glass and giving your opponent additional chances on a given possession, that's going to be crucial for Oklahoma. And just in general, they've gotten killed on the boards this year. Yeah, well, that's what happened to them against Baylor. I mean, giving up 17 offensive rebounds, you cannot do that uh, tonight. We've seen what Lampkin can do. He's Man, he's a, a big dude to deal with underneath, and Groves, he cannot be in foul trouble tonight. I mean, you got to stay away from that, or I think you're going to have, have some problems uh, rebounding the basketball against TCU. And this team's lack of size is something that we've talked about quite a bit. But it's a problem that's not going away. And look, Tanner Groves is a good player. He will always be remembered for that 35-point performance that he dropped on Kansas in the NCAA tournament at Eastern Washington a few years back. Uh, Eastern Washington did end up losing that game, but uh, not certainly not due to the performance of the Groves brothers who combined for 58 in that game. Now they both followed Porter Moser to Oklahoma via the transfer portal that offseason. And now both of them are key cogs for Porter Moser's machine at the University of Oklahoma. But I've said it a lot about Tanner Groves, and to me it never becomes any less true. That's not a guy that you can rely on as a center in this league. No, in he's the, not. In the Big 12 especially, 
the deepest and most talented basketball conference in America, Oklahoma is at a hefty disadvantage on the interior. And continually, we see those issues rear their ugly head and cost the Sooners basketball games. Yeah, when you go against athletic bigs, like Baylor had athletic bigs to deal with uh, in the post, and then TCU, Kansas State. I mean, you got so many teams in the Big 12 that give you size problems. I mean, OU had size problems against Oklahoma State, and it was a mismatch for Tanner Groves. It hasn't panned out for Tanner. I mean, we've seen moments, especially last year, where he shot he shot relatively good from three, but this year that just has not been the case for Tanner Groves. Jacob Groves is a different question. I mean, he just – I don't know if he's quite ready or quite – fits in with Big 12 basketball. I still think they can go down in Fort Worth and grab a win. I know it'll be hard, but you got to keep that Mike Miles Jr. from getting hot. If he has a big day, then I think you're into some trouble. Here's what's interesting to me. Porter Moser right now is largely rolling with an eight-man rotation. Got Grant Sherfield, Tanner Groves, Jalen Hill, Jacob Groves, and Milo Yuzan, who's been a revelation. And beyond that, coming off the bench – you got Sam Godwin, the walk-on, who himself has been a revelation for this program. Bijan Cortez and C.J. Noland have had their moments off the bench in addition. Where is Joe Bamisil? That's, that's what everyone's wondering. I, well, he, was, he missed a few games uh, not injury-related, but after that, I just don't know what happened. You had that tournament early in the year where he played a lot, but ever since you got that uh, win over Seton Hall, I believe, in that tournament. He's just been non-existent. This guy's not he's a good scrub enough, either. No, he's good enough to play and be uh, come off the bench or even be in the lineup. Everyone was hyped up for him, and you could see it early in the year. But he's just non-existent. I mean, he's on the bench, uh, toward the end of the bench, but just not seeing any playing time, which is just really odd to me. By the way, uh, update on the Eddie Lampkin injury situation because he did suffer an ankle injury over the weekend at Kansas. Jamie Dixon has said Lampkin is questionable for this game. So I guess Oklahoma's hope is if the opposing big man, uh, if their meal ticket on the interior doesn't play, that gives you more of a puncher's chance on the road against a top 15 opponent. But Joe Bamisil's not a scrub, man. He's got He averaged 16 points per game last year against George yep. Washington. That is not the player that showed up to Oklahoma this offseason. No. What happened just, to I, that play? <laughs> just, you just don't know. You saw, you saw good signs from Bama Sill uh, early in the year before Big 12 conference play. I think the dude is still good enough to get in the lineup. We've seen guys come off the bench. I mean, I think C.J. Nolan's a nice player, but I think you would rather have Bama Sill in there. I think he's the better player to have on the court, but I, I just don't know. The OE played a nice – he came in off the bench and had a nice game against Baylor. That was nice to see him. One of the two talented freshmen that was coming in along with uh, Yuzon. Milos Yuzan has been really Yuzan, good. Yuzan, sorry. And yes, I, Yuzan, yeah. I, I do not know where this basketball program would be right now if not for Milos no, Yuzan. I know. I know. <laughs> he's kind of been – he's been the guy that's held it together. As he, a true yeah, freshman. he does not play like a freshman either. He looks like a senior. He's calm and composed, does not turn the basketball over, makes the right decisions. Here's about where I'm at with this basketball program right now, Connor. If Eddie Lampkin does not play tonight and Oklahoma still drops this contest, I'm about ready to stick a fork in him. Yeah, I know. that. Yes, he is a huge impact for TCU. If he's out, 
If he's out, you there, have to win. There's no this question game. that Tanner Groves and Godwin should have a or have a big day underneath and at least win the rebounding battle against TCU. If you cannot beat TCU, Sands Eddie Lampkin, you are not a tournament team. And I will come on the air tomorrow, <laughs> and I will officially label Oklahoma an NIT contender. Just to just to let everybody know, Joe Lenardi. For his four, first four out, it is Oklahoma, OSU, and West Virginia. Those are your three Big 12 teams. Which, okay, that's out. and that's kind of the silver lining in all of that, is that you're going to get some leeway because you play in the Big yes, 12. Yes, I know. Yep. So there's going to be some additional leeway granted to Oklahoma, more so than if they played in any other conference. So they could lose 14, even 15 games and still stand a chance of getting into the tournament with an at-large bid. The issue is they're going to lose a lot more games than that if they don't get right and get right in a hurry. Well, you're trying to figure out where your road win comes. I mean, at West Virginia, maybe. Outside of, outside of that, I don't know. Unless you can steal a game on the road against a top 25 team in the Big 12. All right, we're going to hit a quick break here on Steel Man and Thune at noon. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network. When we come back, back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We will discuss all of your questions all of your comments on the text line when we come back as we put a bow on our number one. Parker Thune, Connor Pasby here with you until 2 p.m. Keep it right here. This is The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Welcome back to Steel Man and Thune at noon. This is The Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Steely is out for the second straight day, although he was listed as probable coming into this morning. His condition took a turn for the worse. The toothache threw him another haymaker, and he is out once again on this Tuesday. Been loading up on ibuprofen is what Steely's been saying. Really? Yes. Ibuprofen. <laughs> I tell you what, ibuprofen, that'll do it. That's what uh, I used to get through shoulder and elbow injuries back in my high school baseball days. Yep. Plenty of that. Plenty of it. Uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line available to you, 405-651-3439. Uh, somebody said on the text line, terrible reminder for Parker. OU has to be 500 to make the NIT. Yeah, we got to stay there oh, first. Boy. We got to stay over 500 first. Oh, boy. So I said my fork has been out for a few games now. Which is in reference to my comment that if they don't win at TCU tonight with Eddie Lampkin out, assuming he does not play, then I am officially sticking a fork in this season for Oklahoma basketball. <laughs> um Frisco Sooner says, guys, I will admit I haven't kept up with OU basketball all that much this year, but I watched some of their games Saturday, and my takeaway was that OU team is by far the most unathletic basketball team I have ever seen take the court. He's not totally wrong. I mean, when you see, I know when you see them go up, you know, against the Baylor's, TCU, Kansas State's, Kansas's of the world, I mean, you can see the mismatch a little bit just from that perspective. I mean, we talked about it yesterday about OU not having – the horses right now to go up to go up against the better teams and they don't. 12. I know and they, they don't. don't they just that's that's the reality that's the sad reality of year two of the Porter Moser era I think Frisco sooner hit it on the head they need to get more athletic they need better athletes and I think Milo Suzanne is the type of player that you can build around I think if you get a Milo Suzanne-esque player in terms of athleticism 
and overall ability at all five positions on the basketball court, then you're going to be in good shape. It's just a matter of recruiting those guys, whether via the traditional high school recruiting trail or via the transfer portal. To me, I think the big thing is you need an athletic big man who is dominant on the interior. And to be honest, athleticism isn't a one-size-fits-all type of thing because you think back to Porter Moser's Final Four team at Loyola Chicago, it was Cameron Crutwig that he built it around on the interior. When when is the last time OU had an athletic big man? Where do you go back to? Blake Griffin. Is it Lat or I mean I was just talking about recently. Would you say Latin? Kadeem Latin as a I would say no Kadeem Latin was a very average big man. But he was he was a rim protector, so there Sure. I think the last time you had a guy that could even remotely be considered dominant. You gotta go back to Blake Griffin. You gotta go back to Blake Griffin. And to me, I know Oklahoma's getting ready to make the transition to the SEC, and SEC basketball isn't one and the same in comparison to Big 12 basketball, but if you're going to be nationally competitive and you're going to get to the tournament year in and year out and be a threat to win games and go deep, you got to have a dominant paint presence. And somebody on the text line brought up Christian Doolittle. He, he was no. pretty dang good. Yeah, I, I know. He wasn't. Yeah, but he's not a true big man. He's easy to forget about because his last season was the season that abruptly ended due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so he really didn't get the send-off or the final flourish that he probably deserved. Well, it's crazy. His best season was his freshman year. He was dominant in his freshman year at Oklahoma. uh, From the 918, this basketball season has just been a continuation of football season. We just do not have enough dudes to get us over the hump. Yet, first time I can remember, neither one in the same year having a playmaker when a play needs to be made. Yeah, that's the thing. So many close games, and when you need a shot down the stretch, Oklahoma just hasn't been able to hit them. We thought we had Sherfield as a guy that can do that. I mean, you saw that early in the season. Then when he got to Big 12 play, you're starting to question, hey, who, who do we go to offensively in the last two minutes to get you a shot? Sherfield's a really good scorer and a really good shooter. He's shooting 44% from beyond the arc. He's averaging 17 points per game. When I look at the backcourt for Oklahoma, I think they have pieces. Yeah, I think they're fine. Not just Sherfield, but the freshman tandem in Yuzan and Otega Uwe, I think both those guys have really high ceilings in the long term. It comes down to how can you complement that with interior play and guys that are athletic enough to – wear the crimson and cream, and be able to go toe-to-toe with the guys that Kansas is going to roll out and that Baylor is going to roll out and that Texas Tech is going to roll out and hold their own. Because, yeah, I, I hate to harp on Tanner Groves, man, but Tanner Groves just isn't that guy. Yeah. Well, and it's bad, too, when Jalen Hill has to play bigger. I mean, there's times where he's the five on the floor. And he's, uh, what, 6'6", yeah. 6'7"? Six, 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 I mean... Jalen Hill has been out of his element for three years, oh, yeah. and that is not his fault at all. Someone said, I, someone said Tayshaun Thomas was dominant in 2014. That's a name that I personally forgot, too. Yeah. Jalen Hill's a really good basketball player and probably doesn't get his full due. But again, he's out of position, he's out of his element, and it is 0% his fault. Yeah. Uh, by the way, as we get ready to hit the uh, the top of the hour break here on Steel Men and Thune at Noon, somebody on the text line mentioned, Heupel just got a good old $4 million raise, making Ooh, $9 million bucks a year through 2029. He earned so, it. 
He did earn it, man. Props to Josh Heupel because a lot of folks were writing that guy's epitaph as a coach after Oklahoma fired him in 2014. But he who laughs best laughs last, and Josh Heupel has certainly laughed last. Doing a he's fantastic job. Yeah, he's got job. that thing rolling in uh, in Tennessee. All right, we're going to take a quick break here at the top of the hour. When we come back on hour number two of Steel Man and Thune at Noon, we'll continue to talk OU basketball. We'll talk football and recruiting. We'll circle back around to the Jeff Levy conversation. We're getting plenty of texts about it. Stick with us. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you on the Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Hour number two coming up. Well, you do have two men talking here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. I am one of those men, Parker Thune. The other one is typically Mike Steely. He is out with a toothache for the second consecutive day. Once again, he is listed as probable for tomorrow. But then again, he was listed as probable for today, and he's not here. So we'll see what Wednesday brings, but hoping to have Steely back in the fold tomorrow. Connor Pasby is with me for the next hour here on Steel Man and Thune at Noon. Second hour of the show brought to you by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 is what you will want to take to get a fantastic deal on a new or used vehicle from the Seth Wadley Auto Group, as well as their guarantee of oil changes and engines for life at no additional cost to you. Somebody on the text line says, isn't Steely always bragging about his dentist? Yes, Yes, he he is. is. So uh, I have no doubt that when he gets to the office again tomorrow, he will give us the full 411 on how Dr. Tim Brooks up in Edmond dealt with his tooth pain. They'll, they'll get him just right. Uh, let's get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line here in a minute, but first I want to <laughs> I want to get to this tweet because people are crushing this take, as they should. So Adam Gorney, who is the National Recruiting Director for Rivals, was asked in an article about why Arch Manning remained number one in their rankings. And his response was, and I quote, by the way, for those unfamiliar, Rivals released their final rankings of the year. I believe it was yesterday. Yeah, it feels like forever ago, but it was just yesterday. Uh, Jackson Arnold comes in at number 23 nationally, uh, the third highest ranked Sooner signee in the Rivals' rankings behind P.J. Adabare, who was at 21, and Peyton Bowen, who I believe was at 13, if I'm not mistaken. But you got Jackson Arnold at 23. Arch Manning stayed at number one. Here is what Rivals recruiting director Adam Gorney said about why Arch Manning stayed at number one. I am quoting directly Connor Pasby. Quoting directly. Arch Manning did not do any Rivals camps. He did not compete at the Elite 11. He played in no national seven-on-seven tournaments, and he declined to play in any of the postseason All-Star games. That is not ideal, but it still does not take away from the fact that the Texas signee has tremendous ability, outstanding upside, and a pedigree that cannot and has not been ignored. Others pushed, but Manning stayed at number one. Thank you, Adam Gorney, for telling us what we already knew. That's a great explanation. It's all about the name. That's a great explanation. it's only ever been about the name. (laughs) Great explanation to keep him at one. What a way to start that off. That is all I need to hear. <laughs> that is hashtag Archanon. I'm sure it has nothing to do with this last name, just going off of that. 
It has everything to do. Like the the last sentence tells you all you need to know. That is not ideal, but it still does not take away from the fact that the Texas signee has tremendous ability, outstanding upside, and a pedigree that cannot and has not been ignored. So after he makes the disclaimer that, yeah, he didn't do camps, he didn't do 7-on-7, he didn't do the Elite 11, he didn't do any of the All-Star games, but his last name is Manning. There you go. (laughs) He didn't go to any camps, but his last name is Manning, so let's just keep him at one. That is your full explanation. Somebody asked on the text line, can you reread it? Yes, happily. This is from Rivals Recruiting Director Adam Gorney explaining why Arch Manning stayed at number one in Rivals' final 2023 recruiting rankings. And I quote, Arch Manning did not do any Rivals camps. He did not compete at the Elite 11. He played in no national 7-on-7 tournaments, and he declined to play in any of the postseason All-Star games. That is not ideal, but it still does not take away from the fact that the Texas signee has tremendous ability, outstanding upside, and a pedigree that cannot and has not been ignored. Others pushed, but Manning stayed at number one. TLDR, (laughs) his last name is Manning. He's number one. Unbelievable. Somebody on the text line said, literally started with five reasons he shouldn't be first overall. (laughs) Somebody else said Chris Sims had a pedigree. Yes, Chris Sims did, yes. How many quarterbacks are above Jackson Arnold? So, Uh, one more in there. In rivals rankings, I don't know. Right now in the 24-7 sports composite, which takes into account... The rankings from all four major recruiting services, 24-7, Rivals, On3, and ESPN. He is the number eight overall prospect and the number four quarterback behind Arch Manning, Nico Iamaleava, and Dante Moore. Now. Yeah, they put the Nico kid at number two. Yes, and there are certain services that have Malachi Nelson ahead of Jackson Arnold as well. ESPN has Malachi Nelson number one overall, as a matter of fact. So. Jackson Arnold right now, squarely in that, oh gosh, this just threw me for a loop because I pulled up the quarterback rankings and I noticed that <laughs> Jaden Rashada is no longer listed as a Florida commit. Yep. No, that's, that's so also, why though, did he decline the camps? Why did he decline the camps? <laughs> well, let's think here. <laughs> if you can stay at number one overall, you don't need to go to him. Because of your last name. Like, if you know that the last name Manning is enough to keep you at number one overall, you have literally nothing to gain. So, I mean, hey, I guess the Manning family played their hand pretty flawlessly. I just need to play high school ball, then I'll be number one. On the text line, hashtag Archanon is real, confirmed. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes and amen. Zane says, I wouldn't even feed my dog pedigree. Another listener says, y'all don't have to talk about rivals. No one takes them seriously. LOL. <laughs> From the 512, it's not ideal, quote-unquote, but let's, ke- let's keep him first because his last name's Manning. Make everybody happy. Uh, do we think Sark told him not to do the camps or him and his family? you got to keep in mind that Arch Manning wasn't committed to Texas until this June. Yeah. And Texas really won him over pretty – it, it it was virtually overnight that that was that that, that thing was solidified to Texas because Georgia was in the mix, Alabama was in the mix, but he took a visit to Texas in June, and silent committed and announced a couple days later. But 
Until then, you would not have regarded Texas as the front runner. They were in the peloton. They were not the front runner. So long before Arch Manning was ever committed to Texas, he was already shying away from the camps, the seven on seven, yeah. the Elite Eleven. Yeah, nine one eight, the Manning privilege. That's exactly what's going on. Sooner Todd said he declined so the QBs will not embarrass him. Another says, I hope the curse of Arch is worse than the curse of Chrissy for Texas. I would love to see Arch go up against the other QBs in those camps, though. Yeah, wouldn't you? Wouldn't yeah. we all? But I, would, again, I would love to see all the videos of camp with Arch uh, going up against everybody. There is nowhere to go but down. Doc on the text line says, the more offensive part of the Rivals ranking is JFA had a great season, started camps, and dropped from 13 to 23. Make it make sense. Yeah, that I cannot make sense of. All that guy has done in the last month is light it up at the All-American game and the week of practice that preceded it and win Gatorade National Player of the Year. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then drops 10 spots. It makes zero sense whatsoever. Uh, Ron from Lawton says, Parker, change your last name to Manning. You should, yes. What last name should I adopt to become an absolute legend in the radio industry? Parker Stern. There we go. That's got a nice ring to it, yes. I like it. Uh, from the 918, Manning, once again, perception trumps reality. Uh, another listener asked, did OU ever offer Arch? I don't recall. They did. And it was when Jeff Lebby got to town. Jeff Levy had a pre-existing relationship with Arch from his days at Ole Miss, offered him at Oklahoma. But the quarterback conversation and uh, the race to be the quarterback commit in the 2023 cycle for OU was always between Jackson Arnold and Jaden Rashada. There was never a moment in time where there seemed to be even a faint hope of a chance that Arch Manning yeah, was going to be a yeah. sooner. And Muleshoe did not offer Arch. Keep him one so it's easier to prove a bust later. Somebody from the 580 says, I'll be pissed if Arch turns out to be a stud. <laughs> Won't we all? Uh, somebody on the text line said, Parker Steely would be fitting. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going to read this. This, this <laughs> text is funny, but it's political. Yeah, we don't do that. No, no, no. And we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna get into that. Uh, from the four oh five, late to the show, it's being reported that Lebby is going to Alabama. True? Welcome to the show. Mark? Welcome to the show. Yeah, uh-huh. Bobby from Austin chimed in at the exact same time. Why is there so much smoke around Levy to Bama? It feels like someone like Joe Brady, Dan Mullen, or an analyst within the program would be that target. Yeah. Well, there's your we, few names that are yeah, on we, the we, list. We talked about it at the top of the show. It doesn't does not appear that Jeff Levy is going to be the next offensive coordinator at Alabama. And from what I have been told in speaking with several folks this morning, uh, Jeff Levy has informed people around him uh, within the walls of the Switzer Center that he will not be leaving for Alabama. So there are two possibilities here, Connor. Either this is mule shoe all over again, or Jeff Levy is legitimately not going anywhere. And Wouldn't be surprised. I am going to go ahead and bet on the latter. And then wait for Cliff to get back from Thailand. Joe Brady, still, Joe Brady and Dan Mullen are two actually legit names. Did he actually go to Thailand? Was that an actual thing? I don't know. I mean, Or was that just a joke that he I don't, made? I don't know if it's confirmed, but uh, very odd. One ticket. One ticket to Thailand. Uh, rivals equals MySpace, Betamax, and AOL, says the listener in the 918. Parker Cowherd, says Santa John. <laughs> yep, there we go. 
I will instantly become number one among the power rankings of up-and-coming radio hosts across the country. Uh, who is Alabama targeting as an offensive coordinator? Well, they listen, they have targeted Jeff Levy. Nick Saban has reached out to Jeff Levy. All of that buzz, that's real. That's not just empty talk. Now, again, I don't think it's going to amount to anything, but Jeff Levy is probably the guy that has received the most hype regarding that vacancy at Alabama. Some other names that I would expect to be in contention are the names you just rattled off there, Connor, and that we kind of crowdsourced from the text line because I think everybody has an understanding of where Nick Saban's going to go. Cliff Kingsbury will be in the mix. Dan Mullen will be in the mix. Joe Brady will certainly be in the mix, and I would throw Scott Frost in there as well because for all of Scott Frost's misdeeds as a head coach and the mistakes that he made at Nebraska – He's still a pretty dang good offensive play caller. All right, hour number two is underway here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Steelman and Thune at noon. No Mike Steely today. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby rolling with you until 2 o'clock. Locked in. Coming up at 2, myself and Tyler McComas going to get you dialed in on all things Oklahoma recruiting. Stay with us. We're just getting started here in the 1 o'clock hour. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. It's the Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you on Steelman and Thune at noon. Oh, boy. People are popping off on the text line about Archanon. 405 if you want to chime in. Uh, I'm going to nick a message board post from KJW Sooner on OUinsider.com. Which, by the way, if you're not a VIP subscriber at OUinsider.com on the 24-7 Sports Network, would recommend that you jump on board. Try 30 days for just a dollar. Myself and Brandon Drum keeping you updated on all things OU football and recruiting literally 24-7 over there. So this comes from KJW Sooner on the OU Insider VIP message board, who quotes rivals actual takes on their rankings. And I read you Arch Manning's last segment. I'm going to read it again. Arch Manning did not go to any of the rivals' camps. He did not compete at the Elite 11. He played in no national 7-on-7 tournaments, and he declined to play in any of the postseason All-Star games. This is not ideal, but it still does not take away from the fact that the Texas signee has tremendous ability, outstanding upside, and a pedigree that cannot and has not been ignored. Now, here is Gorney on Jackson Arnold. (laughs) Jackson Arnold is such a gamer that it's nearly impossible to argue about his ranking. Oh, boy. We'll, we'll revisit that comment in a second. <laughs> yeah. And this does not only come down to stats, which are significant as well. He completed nearly 70% of his passes, and he put up huge passing and rushing numbers. He rushed for 855 yards and 23 touchdowns this year. Arnold has proven time and time again he is an elite quarterback. The ball pops off his hand as the Oklahoma signee looked different in that way at the Elite 11. Even if his Under Armour performance was a tad muted, he has all the tools to be special. But he's That's at, the end of the quote. Yeah. Now, here's what KJW Sooner adds. So, to summarize, per their own evaluations, Arch did nothing to justify the top ranking, but has, quote, tremendous ability and outstanding upside. JFA, while doing everything to justify a top ranking, has, quote, all the tools to be special. It appears the only difference that actually matters to them is, quote, pedigree that cannot be ignored. Look, Arch may be a great quarterback, maybe even an actual five-star, but he's done about as much to deserve being number one as William has done to be the next king of England. Fortunately, I don't think we have anybody on the text line that's going to be 
all that miffed about British political takes. But like that's that's what I've been saying all along with Arch. Connor. Yeah, I that know. last comment right there. Look, he may be great. He may live up to the five star billing. But what has he done to deserve that number one overall ranking short of having the last name Manning? Yeah, hasn't done anything except for the last name. And just the thing about Arnold, I mean, why have him at 23 then? I mean, if he's going up against, I mean, we talk about it all the time. I mean, Arnold going up against better competition than what Manning had. Uh, 918 says, Steel Man better hurry and get back before he gets Wally pipped. Uh, Steel Man is not going to get Wally pipped. I'm very comfortable asserting that. The man is a legend. Locally, regionally, perhaps nationally. I mean, the ref, uh, honestly, internationally at this point, because the ref army is worldwide. I'm looking forward to Tyler McComas letting us know in just about an hour here on the airwaves where you all are listening from on this snowy Tuesday in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> heard Bishop Sycamore's OC is up for the Alabama job. Says That's one great. Check That's line. great. And look, everybody's wondering. Sooner Soldier asked, why can't Lebby do a press conference and address the rumors? Fans sure would appreciate the transparency. Here's what you have to understand about the situation that Jeff Lebby is in. Jeff Lebby has reason to use leverage. Because as a highly regarded coordinator in college football, as somebody that is a coveted commodity in coaching circles, and... If you doubted that, just know that he has the Nick Saban stamp of approval. As a coveted commodity on the coaching circle, or within the coaching circle, I should say, Lebby has more than enough reason to use whatever leverage he can garner here. Because the interest from Alabama, however strong it may be in reality, is going to get him paid more handsomely at Oklahoma. Yeah. And this is one of the things that you can do as a coordinator. As a head coach, not so much. Maybe if you're in a position like Lance Leipold was this past year where you drastically exceed expectations at your institution and your name is thrown around for much bigger jobs elsewhere, then you can start to use that leverage to earn more money at your current spot. Even Josh Heupel. Right? Even Josh Heupel can use leverage to a certain extent because Tennessee's a good job in today's day and age in college football, but it's far from the end-all, be-all. And you know that if the Alabama job came open or if the Georgia job came open or even the Florida job were to come open in the years ahead, Josh Heupel's probably a name that's going to be mentioned. And so there are circumstances where you can use leverage as a head coach. There are circumstances where you can use leverage as a player, even with the transfer portal these days. But – coordinators more frequently can and do use leverage than anybody else in college football yeah and that's what yep and that's what levy's doing i mean to this texter yes it would be nice to have a press conference for levy to put this down and not stir everybody up about it about him uh, possibly taking that position in alabama but i, I get what levy's doing uh on the topic of arch and on Back to the text line. Wait till Arch goes up against a Sooner D that's mean, big, bad, and chewing up quarterbacks at a fast rate. By the time Red River gets here, our defense will either be undefeated or I. I this text has become incoherent. I can't read the rest of it. <laughs> you but, can. but, but that would be nice. Yeah. No. Here's the thing. I think the refreshing news, if you're an Oklahoma football fan, is that you know 
you're going to have P.J. Adebare giving Arch Manning hell off the edge yeah, that, in the next two fun. to three years. Yes, I think er- yeah, everybody is just ready for that. From the 918, Gorney letting hashtag Arch and on slip, then follows up by telling future prospects that participating in camps and All-American games can only drop your ranking. Yeah, that was just that was just an interesting explanation. Oh, it's a very interesting Arch. explanation. And look, it's it's par for the course over there. Uh, and that's that's probably all I should say on the matter. But to keep Arch Manning at number one while dropping Jackson Arnold ten spots after all that he's accomplished since the last rankings update, I, it, it's hard to fathom how on earth this all happens short of some conspiracy. And look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think the recruiting industry is out to preserve Arch Manning's greatness, nor are they out to sink Jackson Arnold's stock. But at what point you say, okay, for all the kids' measurables and the last name on the back of his jersey and his arm strength and his dominance in the state of Louisiana at the high school level – how on earth do we continue to keep him here if he refuses to put himself out there against elite competition? Yeah, and going against, I think everybody's seen the videos, how pathetic of the <laughs> competition that Arch goes up against. I mean, it was just hilarious. It was like a JV team on defense trying to tackle Arch Manning in the backfield. Santa John says, I'm glad Arch will be the Shorthorns quarterback. It'll be Chris Sims all over again once BV's defense gets fully operational. And look, I'll bring back a sentiment I shared before Arch Manning was ever committed to the University of Texas. Long before Texas was even regarded as a contender, I said, and I, I will reiterate it, honestly, Arch Manning is a pretty perfect fit for the University of Texas. Yes, yes. Because what is Texas as a football institution these days? It's a school that year after year after year – gets obscene amounts of hype and gets expectations set way too high despite the fact that they do nothing on an annual basis to maintain those expectations or to live up to those expectations. Yeah, keep getting top class and just can't live up to expectations. It's all about the brand. Yeah. It's all about the name on the jersey for Texas and for Arch Manning. Someone said, didn't Arch play 3A ball? Was it 2A or 3A? I think it's 2A. I think it was 2A. I'm pretty sure it's 2A. It looked like Class B, but yes, I think it's 2A. Uh, one more from the text line for the 918 before we hit a break. I think Lebby has class and won't pull a mule shoe on the Sooners. Maybe after the season's over, like to see him win a national championship before he bolts. Now, this, I, this will be nothing compared to what mule shoe. I think that's what, or I don't know if you're going to go with that. You can't compare that if Lebby does end up uh, taking the Alabama job. Look. Jeff Lebby's not going to be at Oklahoma forever. I would venture to say he's not going to be at Oklahoma very long. If you get five years out of Jeff Lebby as your offensive coordinator, I think you're more than pleased with that. Because realistically, I think he's here for probably three years. Yeah. I would say two or three years. Honestly, there's a chance he's gone at the end of next season, but after three years, I figure Jeff Lebby's stock will be high enough that he will be in contention for some high-end Power 5 jobs that will come available. Because uh, I I can go ahead and say it now that it's been reported by my colleague Brandon Drum at OUinsider.com, but Jeff Lebby turned down two head coaching jobs this Mm offseason, one of which was Florida Atlantic, the job that Tom Herman ended up taking. So he's not willing to jump ship at Oklahoma simply for the sake of 
being a head coach. It has to be the right opportunity, the right fit. And I think if you wait long enough, if you wait for the right opportunity, as Brent Venables discussed last offseason when he came to Oklahoma, he had chances to be a head coach at places like Auburn and Kansas State long before he ever came to Oklahoma. But it's not just about an opportunity. It's about the right opportunity. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think eventually he will get a head coaching job. But, you get, yeah, you got to know that you're going to get him for three, four years. And if he can uh, – continuously puts up top 15, top 10 offenses, then someone's going to want him eventually as a head coach. Something on the text line says, maybe Arch lost all his elite competition invites. He is prone to lose things. Most likely Uh, did. Well done. Well done. All right, we're going to hit a quick break and come back here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you. It is Steelman and Thune at noon on a snowy Tuesday in God's country. Keep it right here. On the Ref Sports Radio Network, home of Sooner fans, and we'll be right back. It's Steel Man and Thune at noon on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Steely's out today. Parker Thune with Connor Pasby. Whether you're listening on AM, on FM, or on the KREF app, we appreciate you joining us on this Tuesday. Transfer portal news as it pertains to the University of Oklahoma. Micah Bowens, the latest Sooner to enter the portal this afternoon. Former Penn State transfer, a four-star prospect in the class of 2020, but a guy that was not on scholarship at OU and no higher than fourth on the depth chart at the quarterback position at any point. So he is gone. Sooners continue to trim the dead weight on the roster. Forgot and, to, We also forgot to bring up David Aguebu. And that was Houston. what I was going to yep. jump okay, on yep. next, as a matter yep. of fact. David Aguebu is headed home. The Houston native is going back to the University of Houston to play out his final season eligibility. And... He's switching to defensive end. Defensive end, yep. Which we talked about was probably what needed to happen for Aguebu if he was going to see the field in a substantial capacity at Oklahoma in 2023 with Jaron Kanick continuing to nip at his heels in that linebacker. Finish, finish with 109 tackles and two sacks, but I think we all know that that's the position that best fits uh, David Aguebu. He's too big. Yeah, he's he too big and he's not fast. Well, he's not fast to cover. That's the thing. But, man, can he get to the quarterback, and you showed that in 2021. Uh, flashes of that from Igwebu, and I hope he can do that at Houston. By the way, uh, hardly brought it up last week, but Clayton Smith, another guy that found a home in the transfer portal, he's headed to Arizona State, which that's one of the more baffling washouts of, I would say, the last five or six years for Oklahoma because Clayton Smith was a guy that was – regarded nationally as a top 50 overall prospect in the class of 2021. And again, I hate to beat a dead horse, but evaluations by the former defensive staff, man, not only evaluations but development, just was not there. Yeah, a five-star kid that just really didn't do much on the field for OU, and at that time, he was the first defensive player that went to the Power 5 Conference, which now Aguebu is going to Houston. But the two previous ones that go into Texas State. Yeah, I mean, looking at who has landed where, Kendall Dennis went to South Florida, Josh Ellison went to Memphis, Cedric Roberts went to Texas State, as did Joshua Eaton. Um, yeah, I forgot about Ellison going to Memphis. 
Yeah, but I, you I mean, see, you see the point, though. I mean, defensive players at Oklahoma, you know, st- not staying. Bryson Washington still hasn't landed anywhere. Cavante Henry hasn't landed anywhere. Jordan Mukes hasn't landed anywhere, nor has Alton Tarber. So, a lot of these guys, uh, and this is the this is the dark side of the portal that many folks don't realize or talk about. Only about 40% of the players that enter the transfer portal in any given year are going to find a new home. So there may be guys that enter the transfer portal from Oklahoma or elsewhere and never play another down of college football. Bray Walker is another head-scratcher from Santa John. Yes, it was. Bray Walker was five-star kid also on the offensive line. Never really got in the you know starting lineup or even in the rotations offensively. And he's massive too, six foot seven, three hundred fifty pounds. The word was he was one of the absolute strongest players, if not the strongest player, in that locker room. Just work and ethic. Just, I, I don't know. The, the, the work ethic purportedly was not there the way it should have been, and also he just he, he couldn't move. No, the footwork was not good enough to make him capable of playing offensive guard at a place like the University of Oklahoma. But, man, when, when he played high school football here in Oklahoma, if you go stand up to him or even on the sidelines, I mean, you can see the size that Bray Walker has. Bruce on the text line says, what are OU's biggest weaknesses when a player is being recruited? What do other programs attack OU more on? Well, at this point, and it varies year to year, because there's a good amount of uh, currency and relevancy that negative recruiting pitches hold. They change year to year as these programs evolve. So I imagine for Oklahoma right now, the negative recruiting pitches that they're going to have to face are, hey, you had all this hype coming into year one under Brent Venables, and they went six and seven. Yeah, Are you really sold on Brent Venables as a head coach? Do you really think that he's going to be able to take that program where it needs to go, where it has been historically? the point where they're competing for national championships. And moreover, when you look at all the players that have hit the transfer portal from Oklahoma, why would you go somewhere that essentially cultivates a culture of transience? And look, obviously there's a very reasonable and rational explanation for all of that, but you're not going to present that side of it if you're negative recruiting Oklahoma to try to get a kid to your campus. Uh, from the 918. Were Alton Tarber and Cavante Henry Venables recruits? Yes, those were late takes for the new Oklahoma staff. Uh, Alton Tarber committed in December of 2021. Cavante Henry signed with OU in February of 2022. Neither of those guys lasted uh, even a year. Yeah, Tar- I mean, Tarber really never gave it a chance, I feel like, just getting out after one year. Well, I mean, I get it. I mean, that's what you got to know in this era of college football, I mean, you'll have plenty of freshmen, guys that are wanting to play right away. And if that doesn't happen to him, they want to get out the door. Uh, this is an interesting question. What do you guys think about James Skalski going to OU? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I I, I don't understand why. <laughs> we needed the disclaimer that you yeah, weren't a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Valued listener, but I, mean, I trust I, me. I don't. Yeah, I, 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 wasn't under the impression that you were a conspiracy theorist. Just to be clear here, but we we talked about that yesterday. I think we we both love it. A guy that's been under Venable's system for five years now, 
I think he'll fit right in. Uh, learning coaching, learning coaching linebackers uh, under BV. Well, and he's a guy that actually played for Venables too. And I'm trying to think offhand among the current staff. Now there are a few exceptions. Curtis Lofton obviously played for BV. He's on staff with the sole mission. But in terms of guys that have roles as far as actual coaching is concerned, on-field coaching, uh, Miguel Chavis never actually played for Brent Venables. He was at Clemson under Dabo Sweeney, but to my knowledge, he did not play for Brent Venables. I believe he was done before Venables got there. So having a guy that has actually been a part of Venables' system that can relay not only his knowledge of the scheme, but the expectations that come as part and parcel of playing under Brent Venables is going to be really good for this program's defensive culture. So I think the addition of James Skalski, which we talked about in great detail yesterday, is a really big net positive for this program. Well, this may not seem like a huge deal, but I think uh, play calls too. I mean, we had plenty of times guys on the field that got the play call late and they didn't know what was going going on when the ball had snapped. And that's a guy, uh, Kowski, that know, obviously knows the play calls that he's been for uh, five years. Somebody said, is BV grooming Skalski to take over as linebackers coach in a couple years to lighten the load on roof? Uh Look, I don't think that's out of the question because I know Skalski is a guy that BV is very, very tight with. But I think to instantly be the linebackers coach as, what, a 26, 27-year-old fresh off, fresh off a GA ship at a place like the University of Oklahoma, I'm not ruling it out, but it would not be a conventional path. No, maybe down the stretch after a year, maybe after one year for him. Uh, somebody said, how is Jeremiah Cridell progressing as a coach? Jay Crid, that's one of my favorite guys in the whole program. Such a good dude, such an energetic individual. One of those guys that just has that juice as far as his personality is concerned and is really, really sharp in terms of his intelligence and the way that he knows the game and can relay that to his peers. Because a lot of these guys are his peers. Yeah. He would be a rising senior right now. So he's only, what, 21 years old? So already having a year of student coaching experience under his belt at Oklahoma and being able to come back for an additional year this coming season before, I, I, I believe offhand the plan is for him to then become a GA and launch into a full-time coaching career from there. But this is a guy that, I will say this much, absolutely loves the University of Oklahoma. Very much of the same mind as Caleb Kelly in that regard, in that he came from the West Coast, probably not a guy that you would think, uh, you, you wouldn't point to a guy like that and say, oh, yeah, that dude's all OU. He's got that OU DNA. Yeah. But that's Caleb Kelly, and that's Jeremiah Cradell. Jeremiah Cradell absolutely loves the University of Oklahoma, and he will be here as long as they will have him. One, one of those great young minds that you loved having in the locker room and continu continue having him in the locker room as a coach. All right, we're going to come right back to wrap up Steelman and Thune at noon here on the Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. One final segment when we return before we get locked in at the top of the hour. So get those texts in, 405-651-3439, and we'll hit as many as we can on the other side. Again, this is the Ref Sports Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Keep it right here. You're listening to the Ref Sports Radio Network. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you. I'm going to read you today's idiotic tweet of the day, Connor. 
Let's and hear it. this comes from Twitter user Handsome and Wealthy, which if someone's name on Twitter is Handsome and Wealthy, that's your first clue that whatever they tweet probably should be taken with several tablespoons of salt. Yeah. If, I mean, if they don't have a real name and they put something like that. Uh, this particular individual, Handsome and Wealthy, tweeted this in response to news that Micah Bowens would be transferring. Wish he would have played against Texas. I always saw a little Kyler Murray in him. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack. First off, comparing Kyler Murray to anyone... Don't do that, yeah. ...is asinine. Because there is one Kyler Murray, and there will only ever be one Kyler Murray. Maybe a similar style, I guess, but don't. No, yeah, we don't need like, that not, comparison. Uh, <laughs> Travis Davidson texted me and said, "Comparing Micah Bowens to Kyler Murray feels racist." Yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> and I, I it's just... like, I again, no one should be compared to Kyler Murray. No, Kyler Murray is one of a kind. I'm not saying Kyler Murray is the same legend that Barry Sanders is. But you don't compare anyone to Kyler Murray in the same way that you don't compare anyone to Barry Sanders. Those and are think- two entirely unique football <laughs> players. Now, secondly, I I could be mistaken here. My memory could be deceiving me. But if you need context for just how low on the depth chart Micah Bowens was at the University of Oklahoma, I don't believe he was even dressed for the Texas game. On a day that Dylan Gabriel did not play, and on a day that General Booty was sidelined with an allergic reaction. The Sooners dressed Davis Bevel, they dressed Nick Evers, and I believe they dressed Ralph Rucker as well. Yeah, he was, yep. I do not recall Micah Bowens being in uniform for that game. No. I mean, you want, yeah, you, I guess the, te- or the, was it a tweet you got? Yes. Okay, that they was, wanted... They wanted Bowens in for the Texas game, and there's probably a reason why he did not get in, because he is nothing compared to Kyler Murray. Uh, so many people, uh, Sugar Shane in Newcastle says, Micah Bowens is the great value version of Kyler Murray. No, that's still too generous. I, yeah. um, <laughs> I, 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 I promise you, the same people that wanted to crucify Dylan Gabriel – for his poor play at the quarterback position in 2022, which I, I say that sardonically because Dylan Gabriel was pretty dang good in 2022 by most measures. But, like, all of those same people, I promise you, are all of the same people that watched Micah Bowens throw a 95-yard touchdown pass to Jaden Gibson in the spring game and decided that that guy was the future. Which, and those people existed, Connor. Yeah, which was a short pass, and it was pretty much Jaden Gibson. Yeah, Jaden Gibson beat a walk. Like, he toasted a walk-on straight into the transfer portal. Dorian Plumley was the guy that he <laughs> yes. beat. And he immediately announced after the game that he was getting in the transfer portal. Yeah, I think any quarterback could have got that ball to Jaden Gibson right there on a quick, what was it, a slant that no, Jaden Gibson just it, took 90-something yards. Yeah, it was one of those plays where you can, you can watch it back and legitimately some random guy off the street could watch that play and say, in all sincerity, I could have made that throw. Because most anyone with a functional arm could have. But it goes down as Bowens with a 
yard touchdown pass. Yes, and that will be Micah Bowen's one shining moment in an Oklahoma Sooners uniform. I think there's a reason why he lasted at Penn State for a year, then came to Oklahoma and pretty much was never on the depth chart. Yes, again, I will I will reiterate this. I mentioned in the first hour. I will mention it again for those just joining the show or that have joined since the first hour. I was conversing, I believe, in October. It's been a minute. Yeah, it was actually right in the aftermath of the Texas game because people were very publicly wondering, why wasn't Micah Bowens given an opportunity after throwing a 95-yard touchdown pass in the spring game? So I was conversing with a good source, somebody that covered Micah Bowens as a high schooler out at Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, and this individual told me Micah Bowens was never going to make it as a quarterback. He needed a he, new position. He, he So he had an offer from Oregon as a safety, which if you got an offer from a place like Oregon as a safety, more often than not, you're going to take that over whatever quarterback dreams you have. Well, and especially because he didn't, he wasn't a two way, like he didn't play both ways, right? In high school? He did, but he or played, he did? yeah, okay. he played offense much more exclusively, uh, much more regularly than he played defense. Um, but Micah Bowens was convinced that he was going to make the quarterback thing work. And I, from what I understand in talking to that source, it was more his dad that was convinced he was going to yeah, make I knew the quarterback his dad, thing work. Yes, I knew his dad had a little bit of say, a little bit of say in that. So Micah Bowens went to Penn State, lasted a year there. From what I was told, he showed up to Penn State, and they were like, yeah, this isn't working. No, it so, didn't, didn't last very long. Came to Oklahoma as a preferred walk-on. Uh, never saw a regular season snap as an Oklahoma Sooner, and now he is in the transfer portal. <laughs> Somebody on the text line says, BV should have played the Clayton Smith oh, kid. I saw some go Brian now. Bosworth yeah. in him. <laughs> uh, and somebody else said, Levy's decision-making was horrible. Anybody but Bevel should have been quarterback. That includes Micah Bonds. Uh, that's that's a whole can of worms with Davis Bevel. I don't want to get into that I don't either. We yes, don't have he, He's dealt with too much. After that Texas game, especially from this text line right here. All right, we got to wrap up here on Steel Man at noon. Locked in comes your way next. Tyler McComas and I have the scoop on all things Oklahoma football recruiting. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Connor Pasby for hopping in on this Tuesday. We'll be right back on the other side with Locked In on the Ref Sports Radio Network.